You're listening to Sermon Audio from Grace Community Church of Gresham, Oregon. For more information about service times and ways to follow us online, please go to gracecc.net. That's gracecc.net. And thanks for joining us. Church, grab a seat, sit down. We're going to get started here. It's good to see everybody. You sound great this morning. You even look really good, most of you. It's awesome. Uh, I stole that joke from my friend Billy Cash. It's great. Uh, Okay, we are... uh, Getting ready to be back in God's Word. We study together every week. For those of you I haven't got a chance to meet, I'm Sean, and I'm one of the elders, one of the preachers here, and we're going we're gonna to be together today. We're back in our study in the book of John. We had a, a four-week Advent conspiracy series. We've been back now for one week into our book of John. This is the second week, and we're kind of on final approach now in the book. We are got the landing gear out, and we're getting ready to land this plane here in the next few weeks. But what I'd like to do is just recap a little bit. I want to kind of reset where we're at. Um, I know some of you were gone last week just to kind of get us all on the same page again. Um, this great sermon that Gabe preached last week, we had seen that Jesus was at the end of his ministry here on earth. Um, Jesus had been crucified, killed on a cross. He had been, he had been buried in a tomb. And last week we looked at this story of, of when one of Jesus's followers, Mary Magdalene, came and showed up at, at the tomb. And when she showed up at the tomb, she would have seen something that looked something like this. This, that hole in the rock that you can see there, this is a tomb. This is a place called the Garden Tomb. It's in Jerusalem. Uh, one year ago tomorrow, I got blessed with a trip to go to, to Jordan and Israel. And so I left and I got to go see this, this amazing place. It's a little disappointing to me because most archaeologists agree this is probably not the tomb that Jesus was buried in, but it would have looked something like this. This is what it might have looked like. And when Mary Magdalene shows up and she looks at this picture, or not the picture, she's there for real. <laughs> Of course she is. When she sees this, uh, she knows right away something's wrong because the stone that would have been over the entrance to the tomb is now gone. It's, it's, it's away. So right away she knows, she knows something is wrong and she assumes that somebody took the body of Jesus and so she's freaked out. She runs to get Peter and John who then run back to the tomb with her. John stops at the door of the tomb but Peter runs, he runs right in. Once they get inside, look at what it says. Finally the other disciple, that's John, who had reached the tomb first went inside also. Uh, he saw and believed. And to check this out, verse 9, it says, they still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. The disciples, they're still confused about what's going on. Um, they, they still don't quite understand what it is that's happening here. And so the disciples, uh, Peter and John, they leave. Uh, Mary Magdalene, though, stays back, and she has this really cool interaction with a couple of angels that are there. Um, most of us don't have that experience in life. She did. Uh, it was amazing. Um, and so she has this interaction with these angels, and then she turns and looks, and she sees uh, who she believes to be G- uh, the gardener, but it actually is Jesus. And at first, he, uh, she doesn't recognize him. He calls her by name. He says, Mary. She immediately recognizes him. Then she calls him teacher, and she wants to hang on to him. Um, and Jesus is like, hey, you can't hang on to me. I got to go be back with the Father, but go tell the brothers that I need to ascend. And so, and so she does. And so it's later on that very same day um, that our story picks up here. Very, very same day later that evening, okay? Is everybody with me so far? I haven't lost? Sweet. We're winning. We're winning. All right. So I'm going to read. We're going to be in John chapter 20, starting in verse 19. I'll read through the end of the, the chapter, and then uh, I'll pray, invite the Spirit to work, and we will we'll start digging in. Okay. 
It says this, on the evening of that very first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. After he had said this, he showed them his hands and sighed. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Now Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Let's pray. Oh, Father, thank you for this morning. Um, Father, it's always a great blessing and privilege to get to meet together as a family of God and to get to study your word together. Father, I, um, I know you're here, God. I invite you. We welcome your spirit here now, Lord Jesus. I pray, God, that you would fill me in an overflowing measure, that the words I speak would be your words. God, thank you for that. Thank you for your goodness. We pray, God, you would glorify yourself and would build your church, and we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay. So as we go through this, as we unpack, I want, we're going to be talking about four things that Jesus brings, offers to the disciples, and also is offering the same four things, four things to us. So it starts off, on the evening of the first day of the week, the disciples are together, the doors are locked because they're afraid of the Jewish leaders, it says that Jesus came and stood among them. This is again the same, very same day that, that John and Peter and Mary had been at the tomb. And the disciples at this point, they're on edge. They're, they're confused. They're a little bit afraid, um, but they're together. And this is a good word for us, church. There's a lot of things in the world to be afraid of. It's very, very important that we continue to come together as the church. It's why we do it every single week. So super, super important, super important that they're together. But I imagine what they're thinking, because they had heard the reports from, from Mary about her, her interaction with Jesus, but I, I imagine them thinking, like, is this really true? Like, could it be really true? And, and if it is, what's, what's going to happen now? I also imagine what they're feeling, because grief is a, a really hard place to be in. Um, I expect that they were probably grieving through the weekend. I expect they might be low on sleep. They might be in this sort of fog, emotional, spiritual, mental fog. And the amazing thing is, is that Jesus comes and stands among them, again, behind a locked door in this room where they're at. Um, one of my favorite things to do at work, I work uh, as a nurse in the neonatal ICU. And so in the middle of the night, we play this game called NICU Ninja, where you kind of like creep up behind somebody <laughs> and they don't know you're there and they're really tired. And so they used to be like NICU Ninja and they, they freak out. It's hilarious. This is sort of what I picture happening here. <laughs> it's a locked door. Jesus shows up. I'm like, Jesus, where did you come from? Like, how did, like, when did you get here? I imagine they're freaked out a little bit. The amazing thing is that Jesus is bringing to them and Jesus is offering them is Jesus is offering them his very, his very presence. 
The disciples are confused, they're afraid, they're overwhelmed, and they're, they're trying to figure out what happened and, and what to do next. So Jesus comes and brings his presence when they most need it. Have you ever had somebody show up for you like that in your life? Back in 2007, my, uh, my mom died in 2007. And um, the circumstances surrounding her death are very, um, they're confusing. We still don't know all of the details of exactly how she died. And it's really, really troubling, actually, really troubling. And also what was going on in 2007 um, during that season, my marriage was, was really, really struggling in that season. And so I remember being at the funeral for my mom, and it was really overwhelming to me. I was literally sick to my stomach all day long. And uh, there was all these people there that, that had known my mom, people that wanted to talk to me, and they kind of, they wanted to sort of like catch up on things. But man, I was hurting. I was struggling. And I just needed to be away from people. And so there was these stairs, and I went up these stairs in this little church, and I sat down in this little room that was at the top of the stairs. And I was just sitting there, just by myself. I don't think I was praying. I was just literally just sitting there. And I start to hear these footsteps coming up, coming up the stairs. And I'm just like, oh, man, who's, who's coming up here? You know, and what, what do they want? The, the footsteps stopped, and I look over at the door, and here's my wife. Now, she walked in the room, and I said, I said Amy, I said, how did you know where I was? And my wife just looked at me. She said, Sean, I always know where you are. <laughs> I don't think we talked much. I don't remember saying much. I just remember her sitting with me and offering me the gift of her presence. Jesus shows up for the disciples, and he offers them the gift of his presence. And he does it when they very need it most. Now, the thing about Jesus is, Jesus does it in ways that, 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 that no human can. Because Jesus can go where no friend or pastor or doctor or counselor or lover ever could go. Jesus shows up and offers his presence to the disciples and us. Now listen, it's true that the disciples didn't have the door locked because they were afraid of Jesus. It says they were afraid of the Jewish leaders who had just had Jesus killed. But, but sometimes we treat Jesus in, in that way that we will lock him out of our lives. Some of us, we, we treat Jesus and we, tr and, and we treat our hearts like a house in a hurricane because we're afraid of what's going to happen if Jesus comes in. And so we board up the windows and we barricade the doors and, 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 and we sit there and we, we just like, I don't want any part of Jesus. And, and we do it and we wonder because we're afraid that if he's going to come in, he's going to destroy everything. Church, this isn't what Jesus is about. This is not why he brings his presence. Jesus brings his presence because he doesn't want to hurt us or destroy us. He wants to bring his very presence to bring us life. Jesus wants to heal. He wants to forgive. He wants to bring hope and life to us. Some of us, though, we do invite Jesus in, but we run down the hall of our hearts and we slam doors that we don't want Jesus to go into. And so functionally what we say is, Jesus, I want you in this part and this part and this part, but not in that part. That part of my life you need to stay out of, Jesus. Some of us, some of us do this, and the question I have is why? Why do we find ourselves and why do we find our hearts doing this? Now, I'm not you, so I don't know why you do this. I know why I've done it in my life. And the reason is, it's the same reason the disciples had the door locked. It's because I'm afraid. It's because I'm afraid. I'm afraid that I'll let Jesus down. I'm afraid that if I go down the hall and I open the door and Jesus and I have to talk about what's in that room, yeah, I'm afraid it's going to be too painful. I'm afraid of what it will mean for my life. I'm afraid that confessing sin might destroy everything. I'm just plain afraid. You ever feel that way? 
Jesus is offering you and me his very presence, his very life. He could have stayed far away. He didn't. He came in close. That's the beautiful thing about Jesus. He comes up close to us no matter where we've been, no matter what we've done, no matter what's been done to us. Jesus comes close and he offers the gift of his presence to us. It feels dangerous to open ourselves to Jesus. It doesn't feel safe, but it's always, always good to open ourselves to Jesus. Jesus is not a hurricane. He's the healer. Jesus is not a windstorm. He is the way maker, like we sang earlier this morning. And so my question right now is, what part of your life are you trying to lock Jesus out of? Because he wants to offer you his presence. He wants to heal you. He wants to help you. He wants to forgive you and cleanse you and bring you life. Look what he's bringing with his presence, though. On the evening of the first day, they're locked together. Jesus stands among them, and he says, peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. And again, Jesus said, peace be with you. Again, Jesus shows up and he speaks peace over them. I can only imagine the kind of joy that they experience when Jesus shows up and speaks peace over them. But not everybody's there. Because remember, we read that, that Thomas isn't with the other disciples when, when this happens. And so they tell Thomas about this encounter with Jesus. And Thomas, like the other disciples at this point, he is hurting, he is confused, he is scared, and he's, he's trying to figure this whole thing out too. And sometimes I think we give Thomas a bad rap because he's known as Doubting Thomas, and we're like, Thomas, just, can't you just figure this out? But how would you have felt if you were Thomas? Right? I mean, it said in John 20, we looked at earlier, that they still didn't understand that Jesus had to rise from the dead. It would have been just as miraculous today if one of your friends died and three days later showed up, and some of your other friends said, no, I saw him. You might be a little skeptical, right? That, that would be reasonable to be a little bit skeptical. Has anybody watched the World Series this week? A few? Okay, two of you did. Awesome. Um, okay. <laughs> One of the cool things about sports in this day and age is, man, I should have picked another sport, I guess. It, one of the cool things about sports in this day and age is we have something called instant replay, right? So if there's a close play at first base and we don't know if the runner's out or safe, we run it back, we look at the cameras and we can go, oh no, he was safe or, or he was out. Thomas just wants to run it back and see it for himself. Thomas just wants to see what everybody else got to saw because Thomas had put everything into following Jesus. He had left everything. And so he just really, really wants to be, wants to be sure. So look at verse 26. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it in my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. What an incredible declaration here. Jesus shows up offering the disciple his presence in peace. He shows up offering Thomas his presence in peace. And that's what Jesus is offering us as well. He's offering us his peace as well. It's an amazing, amazing gift. Now, I want to talk for a minute about what does that mean specifically? What kind of peace is Jesus offering us? Because we talk about peace a lot in the world. Um, Christmas season is coming up. One of the great stories about Jesus in the Bible is about his birth. It's in Luke chapter 2, and we read about Jesus' birth, and it says after his birth that there's these shepherds living out in the fields nearby. It says they're keeping watch over their flocks at night. And then this angel of the Lord shows up, and the glory of the Lord shines all around the, the, the angel. They're absolutely terrified. 
But the angel comes and he has a message for, he has a message for the shepherds. He says this, today in the town of David, a savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Now, suddenly this great company of the heavenly hosts, thousands and thousands of angels show up. This great company of heavenly hosts show up with the angel, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth. Peace to those on whom his favor rests. So even sweet eight pound, six ounce baby Jesus shows up and he's bringing peace into the world. But is he bringing the kind of peace where there will be no conflict and no problems and no wars? I don't think so. And the reason, part of the reason I don't think so is because it hasn't happened yet. Since Jesus' birth, wars still rage on throughout history. There's wars going on right now. Jesus even says in Matthew 10, 34, Don't suppose that I have come to bring a peace to the world. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. Jesus is going to go on to talk about that families are going to be divided against one another. There's going to be division in the world. And so the kind of peace that Jesus is talking about bringing here is not the kind of peace where there's, there's no conflict. So what is it? Well, there's three kinds of peace that I think Jesus is offering to the disciples that he offers to us. The first is the most important because the other two flow out of it. It is peace between God and mankind. Our story started off today uh, where Jesus had been crucified, but what we didn't talk about today was why did Jesus have to be crucified? And the reason why Jesus had to be crucified is because that you and I and everyone else in the world who has ever been born except for Jesus himself is born a sinner separated from God. And what that means is that outside of Christ, those who have not yet chosen to believe in Jesus, those who haven't chosen to accept and receive his death, his burial and resurrection for the forgiveness of our sins are objects of wrath, the Bible tells us. We are objects of God's wrath, enemies of God, and there is no peace with God. And so, church, we need a savior. We need someone to come take our place, and that is exactly what Jesus did. Look at what uh, Paul talks about in Romans 5. It says this, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Now, church, I know lots of you are familiar with this text. Do not let the familiarity with this text uh, take away from the power. Listen to what it says. It says, since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if, while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Church, this is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And you need it today every bit as much as you need it the day that you met Jesus. We need the gospel all throughout our lives. Every moment of every day of our lives, we were sinners, we were God's enemies, Jesus died in our place, paying the penalty, and if we accept and receive that, we are now reconciled to God. We can now have peace with God. Incredible gift. The next one flows out of that, because we also get to be adopted. Look at this, John 1:12. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Um, we start out receiving peace with God, and we get the family of God that comes along with it. The, the, the church, the family of God in Christ is one of the greatest blessings you have ever been given. It is one of the biggest gifts that's ever been given. The family of God in Christ. The disciples did life together. They did ministry together. They worked together. They learned together. They served together. They probably rested and ate and, and, and recreated together. That's what the family of God does. But in Jesus's day, there was two totally separate groups. You had the Jews and then you had everybody else. That would be the Gentiles. And they were totally, totally separate. But Jesus came to bring peace with the family, to make one where there was two. Ephesians 2.14. 
For he himself, that's Jesus, is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of two, thus making peace, and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. And Jesus came um, to, to bring the two one. And so within the family of God, we should be about oneness. We should fight for unity. We should fight for peace in the family of God. Uh, Jesus says, or excuse me, Paul says that Jesus came to put to death the hostility between the groups. Church, in the family of God, there should be no hostility with each other. Galatians 3.28 says this, there's neither Jew nor Gentile. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female, for you are all one in in Christ Jesus. Our list today might look something like this. There is neither Baptist nor Presbyterian. There is neither black nor white nor brown. There is neither male nor female. There is neither employer nor employee. Careful on this one. There's neither Democrat nor Republican. We are all one in Christ Jesus. Isn't that a beautiful picture? Praise the Lord for that. Church, unity and peace in the family of God is a gift to us. We should fight for it. We should treasure it. We should protect it. And one of the ways that we do that is we do that by being careful how we talk to one another. We do that by talking to the person that hurt us instead of about the person that hurt us. We, we do that by giving each other the benefit of the doubt where we can. We do that by praying for others. We do that by loving and serving and helping each other. We do it by listening to each other, and we do it by, by forgiving each other. Church, you're a family, which means you're going to hurt each other sometimes. Forgive each other. Look to forgive each other quickly. Hebrews 12, 14 says, Make every effort to live in peace with everyone and to be holy, because without holiness, no one will see the Lord. Unity and peace within the family of God is a witness to the world around us. And it's important. It's very, very important. And so the question I have then is, is, is there anyone in your life, especially those in the family of God, that you are not at peace with right now? Is there anyone in your life that you can think of that, man, there's just this division that's there and, and it shouldn't be there? If that's true, are you willing to work toward peace with them, whether you are the one in the wrong or not? Because it, it cost Jesus everything. He left heaven to be bound in the uncomfortable binds of a human body, one that could get sick and injured and frustrated and worn out and tired and tempted. Jesus lived the life that he did. He taught the things that he did. He died the death that he did. He resurrected himself the way that he did so that we could have life and we could have peace. Peace, life with God and peace with God, life with the family of God and peace within the family of God. But he also came so that we could have peace within ourselves. And this, I think, can be one of the most elusive kinds of peace to find. Because the doubts and the anxieties and the troubles and the worries in our life are overwhelming. Especially right now, they feel overwhelming. I read a study this week that said one in three adults um, struggles with symptoms of anxiety and depression. One in three, church. A third of you in the room struggle with anxiety and depression on some level. It's rampant right now. I've, I've dealt with these things in my life as well. I've battled these things for years. For me, the, 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 the uncertainty, the, the lack of peace in my own spirit usually comes from three sources. For some people, there are other sources it can come from. So I'm not saying these are the only sources. But for me, these are the sources that, that I struggle with. The first one is past sin or, or current sin at some seasons of my life. 
if I focus on, if I think about either the past sin or the sins that I'm currently struggling with, I'm easily overwhelmed and there isn't a lot of peace with me. But honestly, church, this is a gift to me. Um, Romans says that it's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. If we are feeling unsettled in our spirits and we are a follower of Jesus and it's because of the sin in our lives, that is a gift to you. The Spirit of God inside you is grieving, and He wants to bring you to repentance. He wants to bring you to confession. He wants to bring you to healing. And so that unsettled, unpeaceful un, un moments in our hearts and our lives, it's a gift. And so we should, we should welcome that kind of peace or, or that kind of unpeace in our life. For others, though, um, other times in my life I've experienced lack of peace because of what other people have done, other people's sin. Some of you, church, have experienced and suffered immense traumas and pains and tragedies and abuses. I've had some myself. And for some long seasons of my life, man, it's been really, really hard to feel like I can overcome those things. And I'm sure for some of you, maybe, maybe you can be in that same situation in church. I want to say this. If that's you, I am so sorry. Because I know how much those things can rob us of the peace that Jesus brought us, that Jesus wants to offer us. Circumstances of life are another thing in the world around us. You start reading the news cycles, and this is a big one for us. There's wars and natural disasters and diseases. We stop reading the news and we look around at our homes or our communities or our workplaces, and there's broken relationships and there's all this uncertainty. And so if I focus on these things, all of them at times can rob me of the peace that I, I should feel within my side, inside myself. Sometimes it feels like there's this war inside of me. As I think about this, the things in my life, not unlike the disciples at the, the, the night that Jesus showed up, sometimes it can feel like everything's lost. It can feel like there really is no hope, church. Are you feeling that way today? If not, you might feel that way at some point. Jesus' offer of peace is not some useless platitude. It is as real as it gets. Church, when we are unsettled and we're insecure about our lives, our sin, the shame that we carry, we're not helpless. We don't have to be helpless. We don't have to roll over and take it. Because what, church, what we can do is we can remind ourselves of what's true, not how we feel. We can remind ourselves that Satan is the father of lies, and he will speak outright lies, and he will distort truth. And so he will whisper to you. Sometimes he will scream at you that God could never love a wretch like you. It's a lie. Church, we need to be about preaching the gospel to ourselves and to each other and reminding of ourselves that Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection came to bring us life and hope and peace and his presence. And so we can fight back of these things. And so when I think about my own sin, when you think about your own sin, you might think things like, yeah, I'm guilty, but God loves me because of Jesus. Yes, I am guilty, but God adopted me into his family. Yes, I'm guilty, but God brought me security and hope and life and peace. And when we get down, bogged down by the traumas and the abuses and the pains in our life and the suffering, we can remember that we have a great God and Savior who knows about suffering. Jesus suffered and he died to set us free so that we could have peace with him and within the family of God. Church, it's not easy, but it's possible and it's worth it. It's good work to do. I believe with all that I am that he who began a good work in you and in me will be faithful to complete it, no matter what. 
And so, church, maybe you're not there yet. Maybe the day hasn't come yet. But I am trusting that for those of us in Christ, God is working thing, these things out in our lives. And so when we look at our past sins, when we look at the past shame and the abuses and the traumas and things that have been done to us, it's not that they will ever cease to be painful in this world, but they don't have to be paralyzing in your life. You don't have to live that way. Jesus came to bring us victory and to be victors, not victims. That's what Jesus is about. And so I'm trusting that those things are available for you. I know they are available for you. Let's remind each other of those things and remind ourselves of those things. All right, the last two things Jesus is offering us. He's offering us his empowerment and he's giving us purpose. After Jesus says, peace be with you, he said, as the Father has sent me, I am sending you. Jesus is saying, all right, disciples, I'm, I'm going to send you now. And I'm sending you out into the world because I want you to build the church. The church is still in its infancy. And so he's sending them out with this great responsibility because he has to go back to be with the Father at this point. And honestly, I think if I'm one of the disciples, I bet that they probably didn't feel very adequate or very ready to go. I'm guessing that they didn't at this point. And the truth is, is in and of themselves, they weren't adequate. But remember what he did. It says, and with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. Jesus in the spirit of God puts the spirit of God on the disciples and gives them everything they need to do the task that he's setting before them. He is empowering them and he's giving them purpose to go do these things. Now, what's happening here? with him breathing the spirit on them. This is a special anointing for a special time for the disciples, okay? What he's saying here is, you are my 11 guys. They had lost one, Judas, the betrayer. He's saying, you are my 11 guys, and I'm sending you out to build the church. And so he's breathing on them, the Holy Spirit. But listen to this. This is the amazing thing. The gift of the Holy Spirit wasn't unique to the disciples because Jesus also gives us the gift of the Holy Spirit as well. His special anointing was on them, but it would later come on everybody. We read it in Acts 1. He says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, and in all Judea and Samaria, and to the very ends of the earth. And then in Acts 2, later on, we read that that very thing happens. The Spirit of God is poured out on all humanity. And so, church, when we put our faith and our hope in Jesus, and we believe into Jesus and the things that he did, he gives us, he brings us the power of his Spirit to be empowered with purpose to do the things that he wants us to do in our lives. And church, this is not some uh, fake power. This is real power because this is uh, the same spirit that Jesus is giving the disciples and the same spirit that he gives us. It's the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. This is real power. This is the same spirit that created the universe. Real power. This is the same spirit that, that made the blind see and healed broken relationships and broken bodies that seemed totally beyond repair. This is the same spirit that marks us and seals us for the day of redemption when we put our faith in Jesus. Praise God for the spirit. This is the same spirit who gives us giftings and abilities to use to glorify God and for our own joy. And it's the same spirit to help us fight sin, to be at peace in our lives, to experience joy and belonging and meaning. It's the same spirit that causes you to love and serve and help and encourage and bless those around you. This is the craziest part to me. God chooses to partner with humanity to carry out his rescue mission for humanity. He doesn't have to do that. He's God. He can do whatever he wants. He chooses to. And he comes to us offering us his presence and his peace and his empowerment and then gives us purpose in life. Amazing, amazing, amazing things that God offers us. It's all about Jesus. It always has been. And that brings us to communion. Worship team, um, why don't you come up here? 
now, if you would, please. Um, we're going to take communion together in a minute. Um, but I want to do something that we don't ordinarily do. I want to just take a couple of minutes and, and prepare for communion. Communion is just simply a simple meal with Jesus. That, that, that really is what it is. And I'll talk more in a minute about what, what we're doing when we're celebrating communion. But, but I, what I want to do this morning is I want to just prepare the Spirit of God is here. The Spirit of God is moving. The Spirit of God is working. The Bible says where two or three are gathered um, in my name, there my Spirit is also. So Jesus is here with us. And so what I want us to do is, is take the next few minutes and ask ourselves some questions. Questions like this. Am I experiencing the presence of Jesus in my life? Am I experiencing the peace of Jesus in my life, in every area of my life? Some of you here today that are sitting here, some of you listening online, have never trusted Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins. And until that happens, you really can't experience the kind of peace that we've been talking about. And so if that's you, maybe you need to spend the next few minutes talking to God, asking for his help to know him, asking for his help to forgive you. Maybe you've been a doubter like Thomas, and there's been parts of your life and times of your life, and maybe even right now you're like, man, I'm just not sure about this whole thing. I need to see more. Ask the Spirit of God to show you, and he will. I promise you he will. For others of us, though, man, we do know the Lord, but, but maybe this morning in the next few minutes, you need to search your heart and ask the Spirit, God, is there anybody in my life, especially in the family of God, that I'm not at peace with? Maybe you need to spend some time praying, asking God to help you make that relationship right, to seek reconciliation where it can be had. And for others of us, though, man, we know the Lord, we love him, and we want to follow and serve and obey him, but we're not at peace this morning because there's some sin issue that needs to be dealt with in our life. 1 John 1, 9 says, if you confess your sin, God's faithful and just to forgive you, and he will cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Maybe the next few minutes for you would be better spent confessing sin to our great God, asking for forgiveness, asking for healing. Others of you are at peace with God, and you are in a season of, of joy. Spend the next few minutes praising God, thanking him for all he's done in your life. And we'll come back up in a minute and we'll continue on. As I said a few minutes ago, communion is just a simple meal with Jesus. I invite the servers of communion to come forward right now and be prepared to serve. Um, communion is a simple meal with Jesus. And what we're doing is we're taking these simple elements. We're taking a little bit of grape juice that represents the blood of Jesus spilled for the forgiveness of our sins. We take a little bit of bread, a small, a small piece of bread broken that's representing Jesus' body broken on the cross for us. And church, what we're doing when we're celebrating communion is we are looking back, we are remembering what Jesus did for us when he died for our sins. We are also um, remembering and acknowledging what Jesus is doing right now in our lives as he is working out our salvation, as he is bringing the gospel, as he is giving us life that he, he, he came to bring us. And we're also looking forward to one day and declaring one day where Jesus will come back for us when, when he comes back to rule and reign forever. Okay, that's what we're doing here. And so church, come forward, get these elements, take them back to your seat. And when everybody's been served, I'll come back up and we'll eat together as family. The Apostle Paul, when he's teaching the uh, Corinthian church about communion, 1 Corinthians 11, he says this. He says, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body. Do this in remembrance. For, 
this is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's eat together. He goes on. After supper, in the same way he took the cup, and he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's drink together. Let's pray together, church. Father, I thank you for this morning. I thank you most for the gospel. I thank you that the gospel is true. I thank you, God, that you are redeeming us. God, thank you that you have forgiven us. Thank you that, God, you are here to help us. Thank you for the gift of your presence and the peace that you bring. God, empower us to do the work that you want us to do, Father, by the power of your spirit. And Father, for, for wherever we're at this morning, along that spectrum, God, would you meet each of us exactly where we are and where we need to be met this morning? And we thank you so much for that. Thank you that you're that kind of a God, a personal God who loves us. In Jesus' name, amen. We have a good tradition here at Grace of uh, taking a special offering when we take communion. So ushers, I invite you to come forward now. This offering goes to our uh, fellowship fund. And what this offering does is it goes, it goes right out the doors into the community. This offering helps fix cars. It helps put food on table. It helps pay for rent and utilities. It helps people in the community that need help. And so that's why we take this, this special offering. So give generously as we finish in worship here. Yeah, we can clap for that. Of course we can. Thank you, Lord, for that. Listen, if you're new or newer to Grace and you're just getting check, checking the place out and kind of figuring out what we're about, right out these doors on the left, there's a Connect kiosk. And great people out there would love to meet you and get to know you a little bit. Uh, we're going to have prayer teams coming up on the side here in a minute. Um, if you need prayer for anything, please go to them. You're also welcome to come up and talk to me or anybody on stage or anybody with a, with a badge on. Come talk to them. Church, Jesus came to bring us life. And so I want to leave us with just these last couple of verses here in our section today. John 20, uh, verse 30, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. Isn't that incredible to think about? All of the crazy things that Jesus did, and we know about them because he, they, they got written down for us. He did so much more than that too. It's absolutely amazing. It says this, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Church, that's my hope. That's my prayer for all of us this morning is that we would have life, not just living, not just biological life, life, the kind of abundant life that Jesus died and rose again for. So go experience that kind of life as you go throughout your week. I love you, Grace. Take care. We'll see you next week. Thank you for joining us for Sermon Audio from Grace Community Church here in Gresham, Oregon. For more information about service times and ways to follow us online, please go to gracecc.net. That's gracecc.net.